1 Corinthians 13, we're going to jump right into kind of winding down. We have a, about this week and next week in our Corinthian series, as we're in 1 Corinthians 13, we're speaking about love. Love. And we're looking at, last week we finished up in chapter 13, verse 7, where love hopes all things. We're going to look at this morning where love endures all things or perseveres. And can you all hang on to your seats for a little bit? Because it's going to be a little bit of a rocky road today, okay? We're going to go to an Old Testament passage, an example here in a minute. And man, it's kind of like, it's, it's some weird stuff, all right? But it's in the Bible, so you got to cover it. There's some interesting stuff, but I think a good example of, of endurance, how love endures. So why don't we just read our, our theme passage, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through Seven. What does love look like? What did Paul say? Paul says this, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have faith that I can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I can give all that I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. This is what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It's not jealous, the Bible says. It doesn't boast or it's not brag. It's not proud. I'm kind of throwing in extra words here, but not arrogant. Love does not act that way. It does not dishonor others. It means it's not rude okay, or unkind. It's not self-seeking. Love isn't selfish. It's not easily angered. What does love do? It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. We looked at this a little bit last week. Love always protects. Okay, love always protects. It always trusts. Always hopes. Love brings hope. Amen? And then it says this, love always perseveres. We're going to look at that for a few minutes this morning. Let me remind you, what is the kind of the theme or what is the, the topic that we're studying out of this chapter? That love is a what? Love is a choice. Love is a choice. So there's times you have to choose to demonstrate love. And what does it look like? That means sometimes you have to choose to demonstrate to be kind, even when you may not feel like being kind. It means that there may be times where you desire to be rude, but love is not rude. And so... And really, in essence, Paul writes this chapter. He says, this is what love looks like. In the nitty-gritty, everyday life, this is what love looks like. As we've been studying this out, and we're going to see kind of towards the end, that it's not just a word. Love is just not a word that we throw out there. Oh, I love you. Now, we should say, I love you, okay? And that's okay to say. You should say it. But a lot of times, that word has become so cheap, hasn't it? And so many a times people say, well, I love you, but there's no demonstration of that love. And so Paul says, in essence, that love is a choice. Love is something that we need to choose to do. And as we, we kind of are beginning to wind down this series, it's interesting, but he, he ends with this. He says, love has hope. hope. Hope brings, I believe, perseverance. 
Hope brings endurance. And so it's like a sequence here. He says, love hopes all things. Love endures all things. And then later he says this, love, we'll study this next week, love never fails. Love never, ever fails. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty cool guarantee. That's a pretty cool, I wish my washing machine had that guarantee that it will never fail. I wish my dryer had that guarantee that it will never fail. I wish that, that, that battery in my car had that guarantee, you know. When you get out there and you turn the key and it doesn't start, it's like, ah, you know. But he makes a statement, and we're going to study that next week. And I know what some of you are going to say, well, well, wait a second, love never fails. What, what do you mean? Because I've known a lot of times where, where it sure looks like it's failed. Come back next week. We're going to cover that one, okay? So if you're going to miss one, this is the one. That, but don't walk out and leave, okay? <laughs> Be here for next week as we kind of bring it to an end. That's for next week. But he says, love hopes all things. And then he says this, love endures all things. Love brings hope. Okay, love means that you, you, there's always this optimism that God can work something out. Or in a relationship that love won't fail. That love can work this situation out. Love hopes all things. And then love endures all things. I believe that this, this hope that love brings enables us or helps us to be able to endure some things. Does that make sense? Have you ever been through a tough thing, a tough, I mean, something tough and hard, and you, you kind of want to quit, but there's just, you, you kind of have this hope, or you kind of know it's almost over? It's kind of like a root canal. How many of you have ever had a root canal? It's exactly what I'm talking about. You're sitting there, or how many of you have ever had your wisdom teeth taken out, you know? Uh, you had that experience? Now, I just have a quick question, because I want to know if I got gypped here. How many of you, when you got your wisdom teeth taken out, that they basically gave you like laughing gas or they put you under? How many of you had that? How many of you did not, like me, did not, and you were awake for it? Do you know what I'm talking about, endurance and perseverance? Those of you that went to sleep, you are so blessed and so lucky. Because when I went in there, I had this expectation I went in, and I had to have all four, and they said, we're doing them all at once. I was like, okay. I was like, okay, sure. And I said, well, when do we get, like, that gas, that stuff that makes me say funny things? They said, oh, we don't give it to you. That's what that, my dentist said. We don't give it to you. He says, we, you know, he said, we just hit you with some local and some, some Novocaine, and, 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 we're just, and then we're going to take them out. should be simple. Well, it's a long story, but they were cutting my jawbone, and I was seeing, I'm not making this up, I'm seeing smoke, and they're pulling and popping and cracking, and they said that the recovery would be much less. And I thought, whose recovery, mine or yours? Because I'm about to take you out, dude. I mean, I was gripping that chair so hard. And I remember when I'm sitting there, and you know it's going to be a bad experience, okay? And so he takes, and he's getting ready to put in the first shot of Novocaine, and he hits a nerve right up here. And I remember shaking. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. He said, did I hit a nerve? I said, you hit something? I'm going to hit you in a minute. This was, I mean, it was, I was in a chair for like two minutes and he hits a nerve. And he says, well, the next like so many million people can thank you. He says, the chances are one in whatever million. And I'm like, this is going to be a bad day. <laughs> and then he starts telling me how it's just going to be local and he's going to, you know. And so then he starts working, but he was in a hurry. 
And it, I said, um, can I have more? He goes, well, how about we wait about 15 minutes, you know? And so we wait a while, and then it, it finally kicked in. The guy was in a hurry, but he was, like, ready to rip these teeth out of my head. And I thought, what have I done? What have I done? You know, it's like, I didn't date his daughter, did I? I don't think so. No. <laughs> I don't know what I've done. But hope, hope, the hope that this is going to be over soon helps you to endure it. Helps you to endure bad circumstances. And hope brings endurance. And so Paul says here, he says that love endures. Love endures. I want to go back to an Old Testament passage in Genesis. This is where it gets interesting. Genesis 29. I like to use Bible examples of people who have perseverance or endurance or people who, you know, maybe out of love, they do difficult things. If you ever heard the story of Jacob, there's an interesting story here. Remember Jacob and Esau, two brothers? Jacob later becomes, God later names him Israel, and it's where we get the nation of Israel. So when, you, when we're reading this passage, think Jacob. Jacob later, after this, what we're about to read, some of what we're going to read, he ends up having 12 sons. He had some daughters too, but 12 sons, and they became the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob later wrestles with God. That's why I love wrestling. It's in the Bible, right? And he wrestles with God. And when he wrestles with God, he says, I won't let you go. He wrestles with the Lord. It's the angel Lord. He said, I won't let you go until you bless me. And then God says this. The angel Lord says to Jacob, he says, Jacob, your name was once Jacob. And his name meant trickster or deceiver. He says, your name will no longer be trickster or deceiver, but your name will become Israel, which means prince with God or at peace with God. And then he, again, fulfills the promise that he made to Abraham that through Jacob that he will have a nation, a great nation. And that through that nation that all people will be blessed. And the blessing is this, is that through the nation of Israel, which was Jacob, the story we're about a little bit about to read, that Israel, through Israel's children, through Judah, we have the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so this is kind of some of the history. Now, this is a crazy history, crazy story. But what we'll see is this, that Jacob, he tricked his father. He deceives his father into giving him what was called the birthright, the blessing. In essence, he was going to get the inheritance, and he was going to have the blessing. And so he tricks and deceives his father. If some of you kind of know the story, he, 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 he has, uh, the Bible says that, he was mom's favorite. It was a mom's favorite and a dad's favorite. And the dad's favorite was Esau. And Esau was the hunter. He was kind of the man's kind of man. He was uh, red. His, his, it means he had a red countenance. Esau means like red and, and ruddy and red. And, and he was very hairy, the Bible says. He had like really hairy arms and really hairy. He was a hunter. And then you had Jacob, who was the mama's boy. And Jacob was the one who stayed home a lot. And she, was, she favored him and there was favoritism. And by the way, it caused just a lot of problems. And there was a lot of jealousy happening between the two brothers. But what happens is Jacob wants the blessing. Esau didn't really care that much. And he sold it to his brother. Uh, Jacob is making porridge. He's making like a stew, like a soup, like a vegetable stew, stew type thing. And Esau comes back from hunting. And, and he says, I'm starving, I'm starving, I'm starving. And Jacob ends up saying, well, I'll give you a bowl of my soup. It's hot and ready. You know, it's right here. But you need to give me your birthright. 
And so Esau, he's like, I'm hungry. I don't care. He didn't think about the ramifications. And he just quickly just says, okay, fine. You can have the birthright, which was the blessing, which was the inheritance, which was a lot of things. Okay. It meant that they had the priestly rights. It meant that they were, you know, that, I mean, it was a lot. Of, there was a lot to it. Okay. Later, the Bible says Esau regretted his decision. But in a quick decision, he's like, sure, you can have it. I don't care. Just give me some soup. And so he ate soup. But then Jacob, even then beyond that, tricks his father. He's very deceiving. He tricks his father. What he does is he takes an animal and he seasons it like wild game. And mom helps him. Okay, mom helps him. Mom, uh, let's see, it's Rachel, right? Rachel, yes, Rachel and Isaac, you know, she deceives her own husband. And so she, she helps him trick him so that he prays over him and gives him the blessing. He puts like hair on his arms so that it, it, his arms feel hairy because the Bible says that he has poor eyesight. Isaac had poor eyesight. He couldn't see very well. And so his eyes were very dim and he's basically blind and he's up in years. And so they trick him. They deceive him and he gives him the blessing. And then when Esau comes back from hunting and finds out what happens, it's a big mess. And, and she says, Jacob, you need to go. So Jacob leaves. Now, this is what happens. He goes to where his family's from. He goes to where even his father is from. And they even say, you need to go back and you need to, to marry You need to marry, and you need to find a wife from our lineage. And so this is what happens. He goes and he finds himself with with, uh, an uncle. Okay, this is most likely Isaac's uh, brother. It says, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. Very famous name, kind of a Bible name. Everyone uses this name a lot. The name, the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. By the way, probably some type of genetic thing. Poor eyesight. Notice Isaac, relative poor eyesight. Notice here, she has weak eyes. So she has dim eyes. She can't see very well. But Rachel, notice this, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. So immediately, what do we see? We see Jacob sees this one as being very gorgeous, very beautiful, very attractive. Now notice, Jacob was in love with Rachel. He's in love with Rachel. He says, I will work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than to some other man stay here with me. So Jacob, listen to these words. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. Notice what it says here. But they seemed like only a few days to him Because of his love for her. Love endures, right? He's going to work seven long, hard years for a very obstinate man. Laban is a very, we're going to see here in a moment, he's a trickster. He's a deceiver. By the way, the apples don't fall far from the tree. Amen. Notice what happens. So then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. Seven years go by. And and it's beyond seven years. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. I want to start a family. I want my wife. I want, you know, I've waited seven years. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when the evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. 
And Jacob made love to her. Now you have to understand, you're like, how did, how did this happen? This is just getting deep, right? I told you, hold on, all right? Thank goodness we have children's church, amen? <laughs> it says, and Laban gave his servant Zelpah to his daughter as her attendant. We'll keep reading, then we'll explain a little bit. When the morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? I've served you for Rachel. For Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It is not our custom here to give the younger daughter marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Man, this is a really nice guy, isn't it? And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah and then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. We'll pause for a minute. We'll keep reading in a moment. But somebody said, well, I don't understand. How could this be? Well, one, this guy is a deceiver. By the way, can I just throw this out there? This is free. This isn't on like the whole love series. But can I just say this? What goes around comes around. What you sow, you will reap. You deceive and you lie and you manipulate, and you take advantage of others, and even take advantage of other people's weaknesses, you better watch out, because it's going to come back to bite you. Correct? Are you with me? So what happens here is this, is Jacob's just getting a taste of his own medicine. Jacob kind of really tricked his brother, deceived his brother, then later he tricks and deceives his own father. He takes advantage of the fact that his father can't see and so what does he do? He, 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 he literally veils himself. He, he puts on the smell of the outdoors. He puts on a veil, if you will, so to speak, of, of hair on his arms. And he brings in a meal that would have tasted just like what his brother would have prepared. And he literally lies and deceives and tricks his own father. And then he now is experiencing the same thing. You see, what happened was most likely, let's just be honest, this father is going to exploit and take advantage of even his own daughters and of the circumstance and the situation. And because he knows that this young man loves Rachel so much, what he does is he, he tricks him and he deceives him. And she probably was covered in complete head-to-toe veils, which is very much a Middle Eastern culture. And so she's covered from head to toe. They have a feast. We're going to have this marriage. We're going to celebrate. And guess what? It starts to get dark. And she has all of this veil, all of this on. And by the way, Laban most assuredly took Rachel somewhere else, probably tied her up, and probably kept her from screaming and yelling. And so what happens is this, is that he, they go into the tent and, you know, he consummates this marriage, but he was tricked and deceived, and this is not the one that he agreed on. And so when he confronts Laban, Laban says, oh, this is, this is the way our custom works. The older one's supposed to get married, so you're going to have to work another seven years if you want, want this, want Rachel. Now, what we see here is this, that Jacob truly did have a love for Rachel. He works another seven, he agrees to another seven years. He has to wait a week, and now then he's going to have to work another seven years for a guy who's deceitful and a liar. I mean, this guy, Laban, is not a good guy. In fact, later you'll see that when Jacob wants to leave and just get out of there, he says this, he said, he's worked 20 years for this man. He says he's changed my wages 10 different times. He was always deceiving, always tricking, always manipulating. And what's sad is this, is he even used his own daughters to get ahead financially. 
And so let's read on. It says, uh, verse 29, Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. And Jacob made love to Rachel also. And his love, notice this, his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw, notice this phrase here, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, what do you think it means by that? Loved by who? What's that? Say it. Not a trick. Yeah. How sad. This poor woman. He enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. And Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben. Listen to her. Listen to these words. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Verse 33 says, uh, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved. She gave me, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simon or Simeon, I'm sorry. Can you see what this woman is going through, that, what she, she has to experience? And again, she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will, will become attached to me. Because I have borne him three sons, so he was named Levi. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. She named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Now there's more to this story, but isn't it interesting what really came to reality? She realized that she may never gain the the love, the affection, the attention of her husband, but she praised God because she knew that God loved her. Amen? And God was blessing her. In fact, Judah there, that is where we have the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, why are you reading this story? Well, one, I want you to see, one, what Jacob was willing to do for the love of his life. He worked seven hard years so that he could marry the love of his life. And I'm not trying to be mean here, but when he thinks he married the love of his life, He realizes he was deceived and he was tricked. And now he's married to someone who is not the one that he was in love with. In fact, it's kind of sad because there's probably some resentment. And we see that she she always craved to have affection and love from her husband, but it just was not there. If you were to read later in this account, later in Genesis, you'll find that later God does bless her with more children and, and it doesn't change anything. By the way, I mean, this is hard stuff, but can I say this? Sometimes people think that somehow they can earn or obtain someone's love or they can somehow, can I just tell you, it wasn't there for Jacob. It never was. And everything that she tried to do, it never worked. It never happened. And by the way, I'll just throw this out here. None of this stuff ever should have happened. God worked in spite of it all. Amen? But it never should have happened. And it's sad that this poor woman has to endure all of these things and has to go through all that she went through. But can I tell you, the one good thing is this, is that God works all things together for his good. Amen? 
that she will for all eternity be blessed and for all eternity be able to say, you know what, I've never obtained the love that I desire from my husband, but God loved me, God loved me, and God blessed me. And beyond that, God blessed me by allowing me to bring in to this world through her family, through her bloodline, and literally through her womb, if you will, the very son of God. How awesome is that? And so even in difficult circumstances, she still saw that God loved her. God was caring for her. But what we see is this, that Jacob, Jacob was willing to endure a lot of hardship. Jacob was willing to go through a lot. There was a lot of endurance. Guys, listen, 14 years is a long time to work for a wife. Amen? Some of you guys think you have it bad. (laughs) Some of you guys think you have it bad. Oh, I'm nervous. I got to go talk to the dad and get his, you know, that's if anyone even does that anymore, right? You know, but I'm going to go ask the dad his hand in marriage and I'm so nervous and it's so hard and so rough. And I'm, what, are you serious? And then, and then maybe the parent says, well, I think you should wait, you know, six months to a year. What? Six months to a year? We can't wait that long. We've been dating for three whole weeks. Three weeks. We've waited three weeks. How are we going to wait for another year? You know, I've seen it, heard it. You know, I've been a pastor. You know I mean? I've done a lot of weddings. I told you that. Like I said, I've done weddings in strange places, hot air balloons, you name it. And I, there's been a lot of weddings, a lot of pre-marriage counseling, a lot of things. And I'll even talk to them about, so what do your parents think? Where are they at? You know, that type of thing. And like, you know, and, and when you're kind of doing it, they'll say, well, they want us to wait another six months. And I just can't believe it. We've already waited a whole three, three months, you know. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Jacob? He, he has to work for seven years and wait for seven years. And of course, Laban's just taking advantage of it. And I'm sure the guy, listen, the kind of guy this is, can you imagine how hard it must have been to work for that guy? He gave him all the grunt work and all the hard work. And, you know, literally it was bad. It was really bad. And then when he finally is like, oh, finally it's over, he realizes He's been deceived, and now he has to do it for another seven years. Yeah, he's married to her, but now seven more years to keep up and to keep his word. And so he does. And then the Bible says he works another six years so that he can finally get out of there. And he finally does. And then you guys read the rest of the story. And there's a whole lot to the story. There's a lot of dysfunction. There's a lot of jealousy. There's a lot of... Sisters fighting and feuding with one another. And by the way, you say, well, so did did God agree with this? You know, can I just tell you something? What the Bible clearly teaches. The book of Genesis tells us something very simple. Genesis 1, 2, and 3. The way God intended for things to be. God made one man, Adam, and one woman, Eve. And that created a family, and they had children. Everybody with me? God didn't create two men. And say have and, and two women, he made a man and a woman. This is Bible, okay? Somebody please say amen here. Amen. Let me also say this. Later in Leviticus, after this, Moses comes along and in the law of God, he says, You shall you shall not marry sisters. Unless one dies, you cannot marry the other. And there was a lots in there, but can I tell you something? If God wanted 
a polygamous relationship, then God would have created one man and given him many wives. God did not do that because that is not the heart of God. And then when we see it in the Bible, the few cases that you do see in the Bible, it is nothing but dysfunction and chaos. And you have a woman who does everything in her power to be loved by her husband, but is not loved. You see jealousy and fighting and bickering, and you see division, and it is not of God. And later, God even says, this is not acceptable in Leviticus, I believe it's 18.18, says that it's not to be done. Everybody with me this morning? And so sometimes people take a few passages to make the Bible say what they want it to say. But can I tell you, this was not healthy. This was not good. But I can say, at least we can say this, is that God truly loved this woman. And it was not her fault that she was put into the position that she was in. Does that make sense? She was put in a very difficult position. Her, think about this. She probably did not feel very loved by her father. Okay? Her father just took advantage of the circumstances. She probably did what well, we know. The Bible says she did not feel loved by her own husband. But I can tell you this. She was loved by God. Amen? And God blessed her. And God looked out for her. Look at Job for a moment. Job 13, 15. Just one verse. How many of you know the story of Job? Man, you talk about a guy who endured hardship, a guy who went through it. Listen to what Job says. We just have time to look at one verse here. He says this. This is Job speaking to his friends. He has lost everything. He lost everything he owned. He had to bury 10 of his children. His own wife is angry and upset. And she says to Job, just curse God and die. All that Job, Then Job loses his health. He's sick. He's deathly sick. And he's out sitting literally in the dump. And he's scraping the boils. The Bible said he had boils from the top of his head. These sores to the bottom of his toes. And he's sitting there and he's in agony. And he's in grief. And he's suffering. And, and his friends come and, and they begin to just just rough him up and, and say horrible things to him. But his own wife turns her, her back on him temporarily and she says, just curse God and die. And I know some of you would say, well, well, what a horrible thing. And it is. It's a terrible thing that she said. But can I say this? She was in grief. She buried 10 of her kids. I mean, I don't, I can't imagine what she went through and what, and she sees her husband suffering and, and her frustration. She says, just curse God and die. Just, just end it. Just let it go. But Job, listen to what he says, though he slay me. Notice the love that Job had for God and God's love for Job. Though he slay me. He says, if God even kills me, yet, notice what he says, yet I will what? Hope in him. What's one of the things that love does? Love brings what? What's the word? Hope. Hope brings what? Endurance. How did Job endure all that he endured? You say, well, he had hope. Well, what was that hope from? It was a manifestation. Are you listening now? It's a manifestation of the love that he had for God. And because he loved God so much, and he knew that God loved him, he says, I have hope. I have hope. Hope leads to endurance. Am I making sense this morning? You see what Paul is saying? That, that hope will help you endure the difficult times. It keeps you optimistic. Hope kept Jacob optimistic that I can get through this 14 years. But the Bible says that it felt like a few days for the love that he had for his wife. 
I think the greatest example, and we'll finish with this, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. When we think about love, when we think about enduring love, love that endures, let's look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I just want to give you a few more verses, but listen to this. The greatest example is the Lord Jesus. It says, he says to all of us, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith for the joy Notice what it says, for the joy set before him, he did what? Will you say the next word with me? He endured the cross. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What is that joy that was set before him? I would say to you and propose to you that that joy obviously was the love of his father and to to obey his father, but it was also this, the love that he has for you and I, for each and every one of us to those who would believe upon him, to those who would accept him as personal savior. He, he, he in his foreknowledge, he, he, his love for each of you and those who will come to know Christ, he had a love for them. And that was the joy, the joy that he had such love for you and I that it enabled him to endure the cross, the Bible says. Look at Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. He says this, follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and did what? Gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. You see, what was the joy that was set before Jesus? What enabled Jesus to endure the cross? I'll tell you what it was. It was the love that he has for you and I. Praise the Lord. Yes. Somebody say amen there. He saw you. He saw me. And he was willing to go to the cross and to endure the hardship and the pain and the suffering and the anguish. To endure all that he went through because he loved us. And the Bible clearly tells us that. And then Paul says that you and I should have that same love. That we should follow the example that Christ set for us is that that he was willing to lay down his life and to be a sacrifice and an offering for us. A little bit later, it says in that same chapter in Ephesians 5, he says this, he says to the husbands, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ died for the church. He loved the church. And how, how do we know that? He demonstrated it. The Bible says that he gave his blood, that he, he died. He purchased it. The book of Acts says he purchased the church, that's you and I, with his own blood. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. How did Jesus endure the cross? By looking forward to those who would accept him and believe upon him. Love, love put Jesus on the cross. He willingly laid down, the Bible clearly tells us, he willingly laid down his life for us. As a led lamb to the, as a, a lamb that was led to the slaughter, the Bible says he didn't fight. He willingly laid down his life. Look at 1 John for a moment. 1 John 3, 16 through 18, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If anyone has 
material possessions and sees a brother or sister need, but has no pity on them. How can the love of God be in that person? He says, dear children, let us not love, notice this, not with just words or speech, but with actions and in truth. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated his love for us. The Bible says that we should follow his example. And that example is just that he endured the cross. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to, to go through heartache and hardship. He was willing to go through all that he went through. And you say, well, what, how could he do that? Simply this, because he loves you and he loves me. And that's why he did it. That's what allowed him to endure what he endured, to go through what he went through. And he says, that's the example. He's our example. We need to keep our eyes upon Christ. He says, husbands, love your wives the way that Christ loved the church, that he died for the church. You know, we... We in America are seeing the collapse of the home and the family. His, the enemy hates marriage. The enemy hates a husband and a wife and the family. He hates it. The enemy wants to distort it and twist it and confuse it and tear it down. Why? Because the Bible says that it is a picture, it is an example, it is an illustration of Christ's love for the church. And the enemy wants to wreck anything that's good and beautiful. Are you with me this morning? The enemy is trying to destroy it and distort it and twist it. And it's sad to say that we have to almost re-educate our young people on what, what home is, what family is, what marriage is. In our culture, in our society, honest truth is, if you get up and say some of the things I said today, oh man, you better watch out. But can I tell you something? God never changes. Amen? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know what the greatest thing you can do? Someone wants to ask Mother Teresa, how can we have the greatest impact? How can we change the world? You know what Mother Teresa said? She said, go home and love your family. Love your family. Love your wife and love your kids. Husbands, love your wives the way that Christ loved the church. That's a command. Sacrifice. Fight for your marriage and fight for your home and fight for your family. Be willing to die for them. It's important stuff, guys. Are you with me? Amen? You say, well, it's hard. It's hard for Jesus to go to the cross because he loved us. He endured it. Amen? So I finish with Jesus as this great example, but let, let me just say this again. Love is a choice. It takes work. And when you love someone, like Jacob loved Rachel, he was willing to endure 14 years. 14 years he was willing to endure. <laughs> hey, ladies, can I just tell you something? Make them work for it. Make them earn it. 
Amen. Amen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, all the guys are like, gee, thanks, Pastor Joe. Make them work for it. Make them earn it, you know? Maybe some of you, maybe it's you're watching on Facebook. You hear hear this later. You're here today or however you hear this. But can I say this? Some of you might be in a difficult place, tough circumstance. Okay, love endures. Amen? Love endures. Love always has hope. Let me also say this. Maybe it's completely out of your control. I look at the story of, of Leah. And she was put in a position in a place where things were completely out of her control. And she desperately did everything in her power to try to get her husband to love her. Obviously, she struggled with the fact that her own father truly didn't love her the way a father should love his daughter. And she went through a lot of pain and a lot of sorrow. You read the names of each child and it talks about the agony that she has. And what she's going through. But can I say this? God still loved her, amen? And God looked out for her. So maybe you're here and you might say, you know what? There's been a lot of rough things in my life and I've had to go through a lot of things and and I sometimes wonder if I have anyone that loves me. Can I just tell you this? Listen to me, don't let, don't, don't, don't. If you hear nothing else, hear this. Don't let these words just go idly by. Listen to me. If you don't think anyone else loves you, let me tell you something. There is the Lord Jesus Christ who came to this earth. And if you were the only one, he would have died just for you. And he loves you. And so if you don't feel a lot of love, can I tell you something? There is one who loves you, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what this church is all about. That's what we're all about. It's we love God and we love others and we want to make disciples. But can I tell you something? God loves you. And that's what this church is all about, getting as many people out there to hear the good news. That You want to know something? God loves you. Amen? And he loves you so much, he sent his son Jesus. And Jesus loves you, and he died for you. And I would tell you, I would encourage you to follow him and to live for him. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand together. Lord.